And I'm Nate Turner. I'm a science teacher at South Anchorage High School. And I teach physics and chemistry, Seoul. And in case you heard about it last service, we had a technical failure, which happens regularly. The first semester I taught at Diamond High School, I stepped off a lab counter when I was doing kinetic potential discussions. I was standing up, dropping stuff, not paying attention. I stopped focusing and stepped right off the counter and fell on the floor. Kids loved it, laughed, had a great time. I was 24 and bounced. Now we don't bounce anymore. So I'm going to do my best to pay more attention. And then we also have a volunteer. This is a 15-pound bowling ball hanging from a 5-16th rope rated at 150 pounds on a carabiner rated at 200 pounds. So when we swing it, the mass isn't going to change, but the force will. And then Ethan. Today you'll get to see Ethan a little later. Ethan, I'm going to have you step up on the chair, sir. And while I go get the bowling ball, I'm going to have you hold on to the back of the chair till I get here. Now what we're going to do is this is called a pendulum, a really heavy object hanging from not much of an object other than the ceiling. My safety coordinator came with me last night to rig it up. Originally, I was going to swing it down the middle aisle, which I thought was a great plan. When she came here an hour later, she'd agreed upon the best place to put it. And since I like living with her, I changed the plan. All right, so Ethan, the idea of this is this is really heavy, okay? And I want you to feel comfortable, but I want you just to let it go. And as we talked about before, I guarantee I'm not going to let you get hurt. If anything, like last time, if it comes undone, it's going that way. All right? So. Good idea. Okay, so I'm going to protect you, okay? And you can just let it go when you're ready. Yes, I'm going to be your shield. There you go. Now, yes, it's coming back. Was that nervous at all? Not nervous at all? Okay, would it be nervous if you stood right here and I started it back over here? No. It wouldn't be? Why? Well, it's over your head, luckily. That's why I put you back here. But, okay, that would be a problem if it got too close, right? Why? It would hit you. Yeah, that's kind of a problem. So what we did is we maintained what we call margin. You want to help down? Thank you, sir. We're going to see you in a little bit. Now, we're going to use this. This object right here, pendulum, kind of heavy, okay, would be a bummer if, one, I let him get it too close and he pushed it, or if he even felt comfortable enough to do any foolishness, which some of us do at times. But that object swinging back kind of makes a little nervousness. But by having margin, having space, he's got some safety. We're going to use that here in just a little bit, about halfway through. But today I'm going to be preaching on margin. Now, I'll also tell you, I had a great opportunity for this whole entire message to be applicable to me. I think it was two months ago. It may have been three. I was sent an email, talked about, can you preach? I've got some days. We're doing some things. I agreed, and I actually agreed to two because I'm trying to get better at some things and be pushed a little bit in some areas. But I never thought to look at what was coming. And I know, 17 years now I've been coaching track, and it's coming. My wife, she always calls herself the track widow this time of year because I get so focused on track and track meets and all that goofiness. This weekend, the largest indoor track meet in the world happens. It's run by Grace Christian School and Anchorage Christian School. It's called the Big C. Out of 39 Anchorage, or not Anchorage, Alaska high schools, this year, 31 of them. Some of them don't have programs other than three, four kids. Some of them are huge, like the Anchorage schools. All came to the Dome, but it started Friday morning and went for 14 hours. And then it started up again on Saturday morning and went for 12 hours. So I spent almost two solid days in the Dome just doing, doing, doing track. But I didn't think about it ahead of time. So I totally was overwhelmed. My wife was way freaked out last week about how is this going to work? You're busy. Did you even think? No, I didn't. Okay. But the reality is I totally used up all my time. Now, I will tell you, there was a benefit, and I didn't even know it was coming. 
in track, there's lots of events. There's 17 high school events for boys and 17 for girls normally. The event in the Big C has all kinds of extra stuff. They do some really unique things. Like it's the only place in the world that runs a 4 by 1652 because they have the third lap. I mean, the third lane, the first two lanes are missing. So it's 414 meters around. So they do it four times. And then they step in with a new one. And it's the only place in the world that happens. So they put it online. And it's kind of a goofy little fun thing we do. But the reality is there's lots of events. I am not big into that run forever type of stuff. Matter of fact, they're the ones that eat the granola and the veggies. And my kids, pretty much they go to McDonald's right before an event because they're running 100. Okay, it's a whole different world. But so I had lots of time because they run on a really, really, really rigid time frame. They are on the money. You know when things are happening. So I was able on the two days to look at the schedule, say, okay, I can work on my sermon and fix it and adjust it and practice it and try to memorize it, which didn't happen here. So I went up to the hospitality room. Ladies up there were providing food for coaches and spectators and people just interacting. It's a great ministry. We have the Federation of Christian Athletes helping out, and a lot of the church folks come and support people and just visit with people. And I'm sitting there at a table, and I'm cranking out, looking, reading. And people that I've coached with for over 15 years, some of them have left coaching, left the state. They come back periodically, and they show up. We're walking in. And they look, and they're, what are you doing? Because usually I got a stopwatch, and I got paper I'm writing on. I'm talking to other coaches. And I'd be, oh, I'm writing a sermon. What? Don't you still teach? Oh, yeah, but I'm, I volunteered to give a sermon. What are, you, what are you talking about? So we talk about it. So my 20-minute window would be 19 minutes of talking about my sermon and my church and Christians. And, and some of them didn't realize that the big C stands for big Christian for the C in the two schools name that host it. And that was kind of fun to talk to them about. But so I'd have a minute to work on it and 19 minutes to do other things. So God was able to bless my time, which I left no margin in. I left no leeway. And use it in a way that I never thought possible. I was really kind of nervous, and I knew it was going to be, once I got close, a huge example of the negative side of what I'm going to talk about, not the positive side. But as that pendulum shows, if you don't keep margin, it can be a really bad thing. Okay, now before I get there, I'm going to start us off with the very beginning of the Bible. We don't often talk about it, but right at the very beginning, we got the seven days, creation. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm a science teacher. Some of you may disagree. We can talk about it later because there's this concept. Day one, we got nothing. There's just nothing. Then all of a sudden, God goes, bam, and there's light and dark. Science. If you take nothing and get something, you got a big bang. Okay, something just happened big time. Okay, that's where the big bang concept even came from. Now, they've expanded it. They've added to it. Just like humans do, we manipulate, we distort it. It's like as I shared first service, my worst class I ever had to sit through was kind of a science class where they dig stuff up out the dirt. They find one thing all summer long. They hold it up, and it's a little piece of pottery. And then they write this book on a piece of pottery about how they lived, what they looked like, what they ate. And all they have to do is look at a piece of pottery. Okay, I have no clue how that works. Okay, in chemistry, physics, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't work for me, but I'm sure it works for some. But we add all kinds of stuff. It's like the new science discovery show I have my kids watch about dinosaurs. Well, they were red. I laugh so hard. My kids are like, what? How do they know? Okay, fossils are rocks. We have no color. You know, they just made that up. All right, but day one is the creation of bam dark and light right now. That's day one. Day two, God creates the sky by taking the massive water and separating it into boundaries of sky. Now, that's the one I have a hard time kind of understanding what's going on because it's not as concrete for me, but that's day two. Day three is God creates land, the ocean, and plants. Day four creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. Day five creates the birds and the fish. Day six creates animals and mankind. And then we all know day seven, and that's the beginning of the day. Day seven is God rested. 
Okay, and it says it in Genesis 2.2. So Genesis 2.2 says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And he follows it up with Genesis 2.3. In Genesis 2.3, it says, And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now think about this. I hadn't really thought about it until a month ago when I started pulling passages and reading and thinking and praying and reading and thinking and praying. And if you ever want to improve your prayer life, volunteer to speak. Okay, you'll pray a lot. But I realized, okay, that I've talked about this for a long time, seven days of creation. The seventh day, God rested. Oh, really? God needed a rest? Okay. Is it in there because they're saying, you know, God was wore out? You know, really? I don't believe that. I believe that if God decided to blink us into existence, it'd be bam and we're there. Okay? He did not need six days plus a day of rest to get everything done. It's not like me. I need this much time to do this and this much time to do this. And if I was like my wife and multitask, we could have done it at once, but it doesn't happen. Okay? Reality. Okay? God's different than us. There's a reason that seventh day is there. There's a reason it's there, and then it comes up over and over in Genesis and comes up over and over in Leviticus and Exodus about the day of rest and being a holy day. And that's a day where we are being told by God that God took time. We need to take time. We need to have time available to spend with God. Okay, that's the importance of it. The importance is, is that we've got to be able to connect with God. Okay, we've got to be able to rest, but not just connect with God. We also have to just be able to rest. I'm telling you, if I would have been thinking at all, I would have realized the big C, the largest track meet of my year as far as time commitment. The state meet's not even close to the expenditure of time. I probably wouldn't have done today because... Last night, I was just fried. I, we came here at 7 o'clock at night. My wife was just, you shouldn't do this, which was pretty much true. And then we got here because we were, I was already up at 5 a.m. and just shocked. My plan was to hook it there and swing it that way. She didn't like that idea. She figured somebody would get hurt, which when the ball dropped first service, she pretty much agreed that she was the smarter one, which is true. So we hung it over there after an hour of discussion and looking. So we could swing it this way to protect people. But, you know, I needed time to rest. And that was her whole point. You need, you need to rest. But we're not good at that. We're good at go, 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 go. Okay? And when we just go, 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 we miss, okay, we miss the goal. Right now, my son runs for Grace Christian School. I work at South Anchorage High School. But their group gets to practice at 6 a.m. at the Dome. So every morning, because I go to work at 6 a.m. anyway, I pick up some kids and take them so their parents don't have to get up that wicked early and drop them all off, and then I go to work. Some other way he gets from the Dome to school. I've not figured it out exactly, but it happens because I'm at work. But if he's not paying attention, we will end up from my house next to Service High School to the parking lot of South High School without ever thinking about it because I just go, 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 <laughs> I missed the goal of picking the kids up and or going to the dome. It happens regularly. Frequently, he's like, Dad, we needed to turn right to get so-and-so. Okay, it's just, I just go. I'm not thinking. I'm just going, and I lose sight of the goal. Okay, one example more impactive to me was I was the high school student that I worked most on trying to change, and that's I'd go to school. I worked at Totem Theater way too many hours. That's prior to them making some adjustments to how you can get jobs for kids and stuff. And they need to verify you have a Social Security number that matches because I was getting two checks by two Social Security numbers. The feds were not happy when they figured it out. But I would just go, go, go. And I got used to it because I could go to class and in three minutes before the last bell, crank out the homework, turn it in, still get A's. I did not do much of anything other than breathe. And then I went to college. First year, same thing. I had a calculus professor, two semesters in a row, Mr. Banks. He didn't care. As long as I showed up to test day, took the test, got an A, he did not care. Third semester, second year, I take the third semester calculus. I get for a teacher, the dean of the math department for Arizona State University. 
I didn't know that he cared until the second test when I showed up to take it. He says, why are you here? What? Oh, I dropped you with an F. You, you haven't shown up enough. Whoa. Okay, that was kind of a rude awakening. That was a $1,000 bill paid right now that I'd got no credit for. But more importantly, I wanted, as I shared before, last message, I wanted to go to med school. It's kind of important to not get Fs on your transcript. I had, at the end of my college experience, I had great grades other than that debacle. I had an awesome MCAT score, which you have to take to apply to med school. I had great recommendations. I had written and published my own personal international research. But that F kept coming back at interviews. In the Whammy program, 10 people, lots of kids wanted in. It did not happen just because I lost track. I lost my focus. I was just going, going, going. I wasn't paying attention. I took no rest because I was just busy trying to pay for school. I got busy working at college just like I did in high school here, and I just lost track. I wasn't taking any rest. Now, rest is not just for my worldly self. Okay, the rest that we need, the rest that it talks about in Genesis is not just for our worldly self, but it's also our spiritual side. It's for our spiritual strength. When we rest, we're able to focus on what's important. When we don't rest, we lose total sight of God. Okay, he made the Sabbath holy. That whole discussion is so that we remember we need to spend time worshiping him, serving him, and developing our faith. If we don't set the time aside, we're going to book it up. I'm really good at booking time up. And luckily, I have people in my life that speak into my life, sometimes real direct. A former elder of ours was real good at stopping me and say, when do you sleep? Because he'd see me booking around here taking care of something or here after work and just doing stuff. Because I'm way motivated on doing stuff. And unfortunately... I have one major piece in me that's not the most effective for me. And if somebody says, oh, my car doesn't run, I instantly have something go up, bing, and I've got to fix her car. Easter. We met friends Saturday night before Easter for dinner. I hadn't seen him in a while. He retired. His wife still works with me. Their daughter's car broke down on Spernard while we were sitting at dinner. She'd run through a water puddle. Didn't know why it stopped running. At 50 miles an hour, a water puddle is really not a good idea. But, so, we just took the car to my house right after dinner, and I fixed it. Just because, for me, I got to fix it. Okay, just like things around here. I see something broken, just instantly, bam, got to fix it. And I sometimes have to put the brakes on. And there's people that are able to just say, Nate, you got to take a break. But I'll fill my time up quick. Okay, I will fill it up quick. But we need to be on guard of that. We need to make sure that we're not overdoing it, that we are taking rest because it's easy to be just like they've been in the past i'm going to show you this in hosea 13 6 in hosea 13 6 it says and this is an old testament prophet and this is him speaking for god when i fed them they were satisfied when they were satisfied they become proud then they forgot me now this is a real easy one for me Okay, it starts off the fed is that God has provided everything we need everything we have God provided he provided all we need and luckily we have a God that is not like certain individuals that I was going to bring it and then I decided I shouldn't because it's a electrical discharge demonstrator for my physics class which really in the public world means it's a taser and it's great at arcing. But I was going to bring it to demonstrate that God's not like a taser there. He gives you something, he zaps you, says, I see, you remember? So every time you get something, you're twitching because you know that it was God, okay? That's not the way God works, luckily. That's not the God we love and serve, okay? God tells us through his word, okay, that he's done all these great things for us, but he's not slapping us silly because of it, okay? He is a God of kindness and consideration and compassion, but we get this and we're satisfied, for me, it's always like Chinese buffet, which I don't get to have anymore because I've gotten a little too old, unfortunately. But you have Chinese buffet, and it's satisfied, okay, way satisfied. But we then transfer, and we forget where it came from. We tend to forget God. We're all thrilled with ourselves. We think it's just us. We instantly just move right over there and totally forget where it came from and that God was where it's at. 
Okay, so that one just reminds us that we've got to take rest so that we remember where it came from, that we remember God. And it's not just us that has to take rest. It's everything has to take rest. Sometimes we think it's just us people, but everything should have rest. Now, this is shown in Exodus 23, 12. In Exodus 23, 12, it says, Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox and your donkeys may rest, and the slave born in your household, and the alien who is a non-believer as well may be refreshed. Also, before I talk about it, Leviticus, which I didn't put on there, talks about every seven years, let your fields rest so that it has time to rejuvenate. Okay, rest is a time to rejuvenate, to recuperate, to be built back up. And it applies to everybody. And this is something my wife and I have talked about frequently, even though, you know, looking back is always nostalgic and you always think it was better. And that's not always the case. Okay, I always let my kids know that their grandfather lived in a place where you didn't have to sweep the floor because you would just use a shovel to get the dirt up if you wanted to. Okay, he didn't have a floor in Minnesota where he grew up. So the past is not always what we think, but it's nice to think about sometimes. We think about, wouldn't it be nice if people didn't have to work on Sundays because that's, for most of us, our day of rest. But then the reality sets in. If the doctors and nurses and folks didn't work on Sunday, and due to my stress level of preaching, how much stress it caused me, all of a sudden my heart shut off here, I'd be really bummed if they had a day off. Okay? So your day of rest doesn't have to be today, but the importance is, is that you have rest time in your life where you can connect with God, where you can make that connection, and God can minister to you. Okay? So it's not so legalistic like the Old Testament and the Pharisees. Well, if we weren't commanded to rest, then it doesn't take long until we're using every moment to get ahead. And I did this. Partway through my teaching career, I decided because I was here financially and we wanted certain things to happen, I decided to go into administration. I took classes, paid a whole lot of money for another degree, which we have too many of anyway. But I got the degree. I got the job. It drove me nuts. I talked about that the last sermon. It also cost a lot of money and time. It wasn't productive, but I was just shooting ahead. And I totally lost that. I quit doing ministry. I was big into men's ministry at Chain, or Grace Community Church and stuff. I just totally went the other way, and I totally forgot what was important. I was just driving ahead. I had no rest in my life. It, I was going out to Chugach High School every day and on weekends because that's where I was assigned and I lived on the south side of town. It just did not provide rest. It was not productive. It didn't help. Okay? But here, that's Old Testament. Does it still apply? For believers, we often hear about we're no longer under the law. But does it still apply New Testament? There's lots of things that we think don't apply because now we've got Matthew on and everything before kind of doesn't matter. And that's not true in case you didn't know that. But the day of rest still does apply. It comes back up in Hebrews. Hebrews 4. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And then it's repeated again in Hebrews 4, 9, and 10. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And I may not have 10. Yep, I don't have 10. So I'll read you 10 real quick. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. So it's important that we remember there's still the need to have rest. There's still need to have rest in God. And if you read Hebrews 4, the context is it's talking about there's a rest in God. God gives you the rejuvenation. God gives you the ability to deal with stuff. God's rest, when you enter into his rest, is a benefit. When you take time with God as a believer, you are getting rebuilt. You're getting rejuvenated. You're being raised up. You're being able to deal with what comes through in life. So it's not just a day of rest as much as resting in God. But it is still important to remember there is still that point that we need to rest in God. So we still have a need to remember to take a rest, to focus on God, not ourselves. As Jesus demonstrated, that doesn't mean that we aren't to do anything. In the New Testament, it talks about Jesus gets in trouble. Well, can't really say Jesus got in trouble, but 
Pharisees didn't like it much, so they cure somebody on the Sabbath. Okay, that'd be like preaching on the Sabbath. If we all came to church on Sunday, one, it's kind of hard to get here without working, but two, if you came here and no one's supposed to ever do anything, we'd all just sit for a while and then go home. That would be an interesting service. But, okay, reality is having rest doesn't mean not doing anything. Otherwise, you wouldn't wake up. You would just stay asleep the whole day because you couldn't do anything if you were just truly doing what the Pharisees thought. Okay, there was nothing to do. But reality is... Your day of rest can include other things. We can take a day of rest by still doing other things as Jesus demonstrated on healing. Now, there's some ways to rest that I thought of while I was doing this preparation. One of them is worship. And worship comes in lots of forms. Somebody talked to me this morning about thinking about pulling some ideas around worship together to share eventually. It can be prayer. It can be music. It can be art. It can be drama. There's lots of ways to worship, but worshiping just means entering the presence of God, which I often then relate back to the burning bush, which I would not probably take the sandals off and get anywhere close to. I'd be a whole lot of margin because that's a little danger for me or for pretty much everybody. But reality is entering God's presence, being just with God, allowing him to just fill you up to minister to you, to encourage you, to point out things you need to work on, which we all have them. There's none of us that don't have something to be working on. Another thing is teaching. Whether you read, whether you listen, whether you attend services and conferences like yesterday at Kathy Tricoli's conference, which my wife's not here and I forgot to mention and I wanted to. We had the same friend that I fixed their daughter's car agree to go to Kathy Tricoli. She's not a believer and it went great so hopefully a door was open there but it was some great teaching i hear i was busy at the dome next door but just getting some teaching from quality people that actually can transfer the word and its meaning to you have it meaningful and change your life that's a way to have rest another way to have rest is fellowship with believers later probably this summer we'll spend some time talking about life groups community groups small groups whatever you've called them in the past That's an awesome time, just like here today with the body of believers, to connect with each other and actually just encourage each other, invest in each other, help each other grow and change, make that connection with God. The fourth is service, and we often don't think of this as rest. It's not rest to do this. To get up here and speak is not exactly restful. It may be beneficial, but it's not very restful, but Often you can. It was restful to me to serve in the capacity of prepping, thinking, praying, connecting with God, serving here what I normally do. Some of you see me on that end of the building with Mary handing bulletins out, visiting, talking to people. That's a great time for me just to get connected, realize what God's doing for people or with people, serving in children's ministry, helping with youth, doing worship, picking up chairs, whatever works for you, okay? But service allows you the opportunity to connect and see what God's doing and use your gifts. We spent three weeks or so talking about the 301 materials on spiritual gifts, using your gifts, letting God work through your life, helping change you. Now, this pendulum, what I wouldn't let the young man do, what I do in class, and then I have to be really careful, and this is where it can go bad. I'll tell you right now, any science teacher that tells you they know 100% of the time what's going to happen, should be 0% of the time in the classroom because I honestly don't know, but I'll go this way. Just, yeah, okay. I have them take the bowling ball and put it on their face. I do it first. And they all, because I don't do it like I did with Ethan, I do it first right on my face, and I let it go. If I let it go, physics dictates that it won't hit me. There's a waste of energy up there by friction. And it's only going to swing almost all the way back. If I push it, that's a problem. So I have to be paying attention. I don't want to step off the thing like I did in class. And I just put it on my face and I let it go. And as long as I don't lean, which is a problem. If I go here like we do in life, it'll hit me. And that's what happens. Sometimes we have things in life start back here. And they hit us on the way over. And we pick ourselves up. Like if any of you watch the show Wipeout, I know it's totally off topic. The funniest ever was the dude that got hit by the thing going around and he'd lift up and he hit him, lift up and hit him. Like eight times he kept sitting up, smacking him into the ground. 
But that's what happens. Life starts here. You don't see it. It hits you. And then all of a sudden it comes back and hits you again. And then I have the students come up. And they almost always forget. And they'll start here. And then they push it. And then I have to get in the way. Because the district doesn't like when we hurt kids. Okay? I have to make sure they don't get hurt. But reality is most people aren't into that. They're going to start with it way over here. They're going to keep safety. They're going to keep margin in their life so that they don't get hit. Okay? It's not comfortable to have this object going towards your face. Okay? And this is where last time it failed. It just totally flopped right off there partway through. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't happen again. But as I said, I only know 99%. So now I can take that time rest and I'm going to pull it out and I'm going to apply it to another area. And that area is our finances, our material world. Now, first, get it out of the way. My brother-in-law, who came last time I preached and loved it, which was great because we're praying for him. He hates going to churches because they always talk about money. And I'm just going to throw out now. I'm not trying to dig into your wallet or anything else. I'm just talking about some items. One of them is, are we supposed to tithe, which means give. And the answer is yes. For those that haven't connected with that yet, the answer is yes. But I'm not here to beat you up about it or anything else. And I don't want you to get bent out of shape if you came back after Easter and you think that's the case that we always talk about money. It's very seldom. But we are supposed to tithe. And this is seen in 2 Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, so you understand where I get the verse for why we're supposed to give. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. So this is the part that pulls out of the Old Testament, brings to the New Testament, that we're supposed to give. Tithe is one way to give. Tithing, for some people, means 10%. They're way dedicated, determined, 10%. And I've kind of been there, and then I've kind of not been there. I've kind of just been, mainly on that piece, cheerful giver, just give whatever I can. If I don't have margin in my finances, I can't give very well. Or if I'm focused, and some people I talk to that are focused on the 10% issue that some are, then you find out whether it's 10% of their net or 10% of their gross. 10% of their dividend as well. Ten, you know, it just goes on and on and on. And as a side note, I learned, thanks to a pastor named Dick Irwin, Richard Irwin, City Church, preached on tithing and giving and talked about moose. I love hunting. I get moose and caribou most every year. And he talked about, do you give out of your moose? I never thought about it till that day. And then we found out that the downtown soup kitchen, who we've helped support for years, has a relationship with the Alaska Sausage Company that you just drop the meat off. They'll grind it up. Mainly, they just give it after they grind it to the soup kitchen. Sometimes they charge a very, very nominal fee to the soup kitchen for the fat that they use or whatever. But normally, they just never charge to give it to them because they're very devoted believers as well. And it's a huge blessing to the soup kitchen because we go through a lot of food. So I just do that. It's just something that hit me, and I realized, yeah, that's a blessing. I just pass that blessing on. And it's been a cheerful thing for us, and it's just something we do but that's that giving part we are supposed to tithe okay we are supposed to tithe now are we supposed to just worry about that no we also need to maintain our ability to have room so we can deal with what just comes up not just tithing but they're also called offerings and i only Got hold of this a few days ago. My wife and I are reading a book together at night called Blessed Life, and she read this piece, and then we're like, what? And we looked it up, and we talked about it, and it was tithes and offerings. Giving was more than just what you were supposed to do. It was out of your free will, and these things just happen. And this is out of Malachi 3.8. Malachi, an Old Testament prophet, says, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you in tithes and offerings? Now, Malachi was speaking for God, and he was supported by the people in theory, but they were robbing him, not giving tithes and offerings. So we are called to be able to give offerings. And if we are living with no margin in our finances, if our financial world is like mine normally, and my wife and I have been working on this, talking about it, if we get to the end of the month like I do, and we're at zero, 
and we get paid the next day, and now we're no longer at zero. And the next month, this has been going on for like three years. We've been struggling with trying to figure out what's going on and how to fix some things. But if we're always at zero, there's no way to help people when they need it. There's no way to give free will offerings. There's no way to give more when somebody needs more. We're just stuck in that rut of always just having enough. We may give a tithe to the church, but reality, we're just stuck in the rut of always having enough. Now, I'm not the best of it, okay? My, as I said, I'm a teacher, so kind of regularly I have an idea what's going to happen to my income each year because of the salary schedule and if the contract allows you to move or not. So I can predict what's going on. Every time it goes up, our desire to do more, spend more, goes up. And this has been going along. Most indicated by I took my 1,500-square-foot house, which was 1,000 plus the garage 500. I changed the garage years ago to be a kitchen living room because the kids were using a lot of space up, and I thought that would be better than having a garage. And then it hit me that I don't live in Arizona. I live in Alaska, so that didn't work so hot. But later, my income went up. I took on flag football coaching, got a little more money, and we decided, hey, we've got room. We can now add on to the house. So I added 2,700 square feet. Big garage, giant family room, just an open room and a little entryway thing. I did it almost entirely myself with help of some friends. But we put all that in. And the reality is we got right back to where we've been most of our life, right at the end of every month, it's at zero. It's at the point where usually the 12th, 13th, 14th, and I get paid the 15th, I'll look at Wells Fargo to see if the account has gotten to 300 because after 300 at 299 any month, they charge 10 bucks. So I don't want to pay 10 bucks for nothing, so we're just anxiously looking because that's the way we've gotten used to living. It's really easy to do to not have margin in our finances. Just like time, we've got to have space. We've got to be able to respond. Have you ever heard of a believer or somebody else tell you something that's going on and all you can do, which is not negative, okay, these are good things, they need to tell you something, you listen. And then you say, okay, I'll pray for you. But you can't do anything helpful as far as deal with if they've got a financial need or a time need, they need help with something, but you can only listen and pray. You can't do anything physically for them. You can't respond. You've got no time issues. You've got no money issues. You're just stuck. This is real evident. About the fifth year I taught at Diamond, I went out in my physics classroom. As soon as I walked out the door, right as the bell rang, a girl was screaming at the end of the long hallway. She was on the ground, hand in a bag. And I go down there. I'm like, what can be? You know, first thought in my mind is a mouse in there or something. She put her hand in and got bit. Because in Arizona, it's pretty common you do things like that, like put a shoe on and find out somebody's dancing because there was something in it, get in a sleeping bag, hear people scream because tarantulas took up residence, and yeah. So that was my first thought. But reality, I get down there trying to stay calm. That was what I learned early is don't run, like, to fights and stuff because you'll be wore out and not be very helpful. So I get down there. She her hand's in the bag. I look in the bag. She has a spiral notebook that's come part undone, the spiral it's stuck in the bag, but she took her hand to get something out and just shoved it in there, and the spiral went through her hand. And she stuck to it. She doesn't want to move. She's screaming. So I'm, okay, let's go get the pliers out of my classroom. We'll cut it off. I go in there. I tell her, okay, the nurse is on the way, but I'm going to cut this wire so you can get your hand out the bag. And she's, and I just snip the wire. She's worried it's going to hurt. I said, it won't hurt. I'm just going to snip it right here. Snip the wire. She gets her hand out. Now she's got the spiral, but at least she's not screaming anymore. Okay? But it wouldn't have gone real well if I walked up, look, listen, I'll pray for you, and left. Okay? One, I'm definitely in the principal's office. Okay? She is not going to like me forever. Okay? Every day she sees me, I know there's going to be some negativity going on. But reality is, we've got to have some margin in our life to respond to people. If we don't have any margin, whether it's financial or time, it's really hard to respond. Now, we're also able to deal with the unknown things that happen in our life by having margin. For myself, as I told you the last message, I've had numerous opportunities to experience medical costs. One time, we went right through the savings account, the checking account, the 
special account where the feds charge you lots of money for taking the money out early. And then we had to hope to borrow money from folks to pay off all the bills because people like to be paid, okay? They, they don't like to send you notices over and over again. So it just, and then we got to the point where we're just praying we can get caught up for something else happens because we had no margin anywhere in our financial world. We were just living on that break-even point, which isn't real helpful. So we were just hoping not to get caught up again. We're hoping not to lean into the moving bowling ball. But that happens at times. Now, what about responding to God's call? If we're using everything to its fullest, which is society's pretty much message, you know, live the dream, live on the edge, do the fullest, do it all, go wherever you want, do whatever you want, do, 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 which is pretty common. It's what we hear. You know, we tend to get into it. Real, I'm really good at getting way busy, okay? It's really hard to hear God's call on us. It's hard to serve Him when He calls. It's hard to do what He's asking of us when we're just booked up, when we have no margin. If we say, oh, wait, I need to raise money. If you're called to do something, like my son went on the missions trip. If he had had no savings of his own, no chance to have some money available, if he was just hoping relatives would kick in, that really wouldn't work out real well. But without him having a margin, he wasn't able to help support some of himself. Or if he didn't have time, he really felt called to go to the Alaska missions. If he had zero time to do it, how's that going to work? And it's just like the last service, a gentleman talked to me. He said he just read a story about a Bible teacher at a college, gave the assignment to his future pastors to do a whole research paper on the Good Samaritan. And then they were going to present at churches. He divided them in half. He created a situation using an actor set up to where each one, one half, had no time between when they left, got to the church to present, and the actor staged a catastrophe. And then the other half was designed to get there early, be ready, have time. It's like this morning, I got here way early, made the coffee just to get rid of some anxiety bugs and then read through and try to think. But same thing, the actor staged an emergency. And what happened was everybody in the no time group did nothing. The folks that had time responded. And then they got back together and he showed him. If you've got no time, you aren't likely to respond to anybody. You're not likely to be able to be able to help out. Now, if you fail to respond, what happens? You don't have God's blessing. You don't get to receive that blessing. But more importantly, because it's really not about us, God doesn't get the glory for what he's asked of you. If you don't have the ability to respond to his call when he asks you to do things, the glory of God's not going to be demonstrated to others. It's just going to be a missed opportunity. So what can living with margin in our life do for us? The first thing, we can stay focused on our relationship with God. The whole point is to have a relationship with God. That is what it's about. It's you and God being in relationship with each other. Now, this also brings up another story in class. Six years ago when South opened, I thought the day before parent conferences, I had a kid come undone the day before I missed because my son was sick and I had a sub and that student just needed me. And I teach AP chemistry, which is college chemistry in high school. They're trying to take a test to get credit for 86 bucks. They get sometimes eight credits of college, which is kind of a lot of money at most schools they want to go to. So they're kind of high strung. And one student came undone on me, just went off about how could I not be there? They needed me, la, 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 la. And after they took a breath, I said, now listen. We need to talk. One, you're not the most important thing in my world. Okay? Most of them are like a little shocked. And I said, here it is. And most of them know by now because early on they figure out that I'm a Christian. I have certain things I believe and don't believe. I told them, first, God's number one. Okay? You just need to know that about me now. God's number one. You're not him. My wife is number two, and you aren't her. My kids are number three, and you're not them. Not yet. Two years ago, I got to have muffin in class. That was an enjoyment. And then four, you. Okay, so you're way down the list. Well, the next day, parent conferences, the young lady's mom sat down and says, Mr. I'd like to talk to you about what you shared in class yesterday. Instantly, I think I'm in trouble. Okay, which as it happens regularly, I have to apologize sometimes. But I thought for sure I was in trouble. 
And she just goes, I really want to thank you for sharing probably the most important lesson my kid could learn this year. I was kind of shocked because I thought for sure I was in trouble. But the reality is it's the relationship with God that's the most important thing. And having margin in your life allows you to connect with God, allows you to have that connection that can change you, improve you, raise you up, help you when things aren't going real well, like I talked about in my last message. Then next, we also have the chance, if we have margin, to have a relationship with our family. I was fortunate to get picked by a lady. I had the nerve to ask I, if she would. She foolishly said I'd do, and then I let her where we went. But reality is she luckily said yes, and she's way motivated about family, which is good. That's the reason I even hung out with her. But she is big on family time. We eat. It's one of the things early we talked about. She wanted to make sure we were doing family meals all the time. So we eat at home together all the time, which my kids didn't realize was not that normal until it, when they started hanging out with their friends at their houses, they found out that lots of folks don't eat together. But we do. And we spend lots of time together because we have the margin. Two years ago, when my oldest was looking at colleges, we knew that we didn't want to do what we did. Here in Alaska, I moved up here in high school. My wife was born and raised here, went to high school. You went to the career resource little room. You looked at the books, and you pointed and said, I'm going to go with that one. It didn't always work real well. My son, I wanted to have other chances. And so we decided, and my wife really pushed, that we needed to go and look at the schools but also take enough time so we'd go do things together. We went to national parks, and she found online that Disney would give you a day of Disney for free if you did a day of community service. So we did that, and we did all this stuff. And we just spent a lot of time together because she was way motivated, making sure. And the kids just loved it. We got done, and they just thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And she reminded me, because I forgot because I get to talking and forget stuff, on that trip, Glen Area, my kids were a little frustrated. Halfway through, we noticed Glen Area, the Navigators in Colorado Springs, has a castle, and they have a retreat center right next to it. And you can go hang out, and they did a multi-generational family conference. It was just family camp, and we decided to go because it matched up. We were going to be driving past, so we stopped for four days. The kids just were mad when we first told them. They were mad till we got there, and then afterwards, they thought it was the greatest thing. And all we did was hang out visit with believers, my son who wasn't sure about physics and wasn't sure about what college to go to. There were three of some of the top physicists, one out of the Air Force, one out of MIT, and another gentleman in his own business as a consultant that just sat with him all day long and visited about physics in school, and it was just amazing. And it was just, we had time to do that. If we'd have just done what I see most of my students do, their parents book a flight Thursday, they go to a college, they come back Sunday. Next week, they go Thursday, come back Sunday. They hit all these schools by going on these weekends, and they just miss the opportunities because they don't have time. So having that margin in your life allows you to connect back with your family. Third is connecting with the body, like I talk about, building the relationship in the body. We often come here together on Sunday, and we talk, we visit, but then the rest 6.8 days of the week, we're out there in the world not really interacting with people that believe what we believe often or having support from folks that believe what we believe. And they're giving us their own views of what should be done or shouldn't be done or whatever. Sort of like my son was talking to a lady and she said, you're way too rigid. You don't know if you're going to marry a Buddhist or a Hindu or an Islam. Or, and he's like, well, no, I'm pretty certain I'm going to choose a Christian. She just couldn't understand that. But. You're surrounded with that. Connecting, having time in your life to connect with the fellow believers allows you to have the support. As I've talked about before, for me, that's often been in those small groups, those life groups. Building that body, connecting with each other has been important and critical. And having time and or financial ability to make that happen has been important. And lastly, the final one is your relationship to the non-believer. I love the thing that James McDonald often refers to on the radio. There's the found, the body, and there's the lost. And there's only two groups. And you've got to have that connection with that other group. Often, I visit with people that it's all about us. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's do this. All the believers are always going to be together. They've totally missed the Great Commission. We're supposed to go out and make disciples. You can't make disciples if you're always together. There's nothing new. 
So you've got to maintain that relationship outside of the body. You've got to build that up. There's lots of ways to do that. But it's having time and the resources to make that happen, having that margin in your life. Now, how can you tell if you have margin? Easy, two ways. One, look at your bank statement. If you're like me, the last and we're working on this diligently, we think we've got some ideas to fix some of this. So we spent all year we've done just miraculously some studies, the book Radical. We did as a first study for our life group this year. My wife picked up a book from her sister that she really liked that we've been reading together called Blessed Life. A few years ago, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which a lot of it I disagreed with, but it was great to think about some things. And then another old, old book called Your Money or Your Life. And it just all led us through these whole discussions and trying to figure some stuff out. But if you look at your bank statement, you're always at zero, like we've been for the last three years. That's a problem. Because things can just happen. You're not going to see it coming, and it just happens. And you've got to deal with it. No margin makes it really tough. Another way is, look, some of you guys have those. I have two teen kids that suck the money right out of us. But you may have those fancy phones that have an app for that, and you've got your schedule right there. You had show up to church at 11.32, get coffee at 11.34, get a seat before first song's over. Okay, and you've got it planned out. Okay? You can tell if you got margin or not, looking at your schedule, looking at your calendar, okay? It's important to have leeway in your life, okay? It is important. And I'm not going to lie to you. I have a huge area to go on this. This was a great message to prep or think about just because and then having the big C relays show right up there really convinced me that I've still got a long way to go. But having margin in your life is going to allow you to adjust, to connect with people, just to respond to people that have needs. It's just like I shared with first service that often, because I'm a tool maniac, I'll go Home Depot. I don't even know what's them, but two 18-volt DeWalt batteries on sale, $99.99. I have like 18 of them. But I had to buy them. That's 100 bucks, And I just all of a sudden spent 100 bucks. I could have used for something else, but I just spent it. The margin went away. That just happens, and we're working on that. We're all working on stuff, okay? I want you to understand that. We aren't any better than anyone else. We should all be working on this. My hope is that this message had some pieces that you can look at, think about, and just spend time thinking about the rest, thinking about financial aspects of your life, and everyone's a little different. If there's anything I share that you like to talk about, I'd love to talk to you at the end. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then I think we're going to have the worship team come up, and we have a baptismal here at the end for you. Ethan, who was at the beginning, is going to get a chance here again. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for the opportunity you gave me to prepare this message and provide it. My prayer is that it was beneficial in some way or form to each and every person here today, whether they're four years old to a little over 40 years old. I just pray that you've opened their eyes to aspects in their own life or brought things to mind that maybe they need to think about, as I've been thinking about in my own life. I just continue to pray that your word will ring true here and that we'll continue to use it in an authentic and truthful way and that it will be useful to the body for building up as well as an encouragement to those that may not be part of the body yet. And I just continue to pray for your blessing upon us. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand up and uh, sing one more song in worship and then we'll have a, have a baptism.